reflecting on the fading of our first full day of practice together. Noticing and in a kindly way receiving how we are now. Reflecting around the various activities of uh, yesterday and today. The practices, moment to moment, opening to establishing ourselves in the, the suchness of our activities sitting and walking, listening, working, resting. Today we've been contemplating the aspect of the Buddha's teachings called samadhi. referred to as a uh, significant uh, pillar of the teachings. Oftentimes the, uh, the Buddha would reduce the, the practices, the activities which uh, take us from delusion to clarity from bondage to freedom, he often reduced that to three, three trainings. Which make up uh, three sections of the eight, what's called the Eightfold Path. But as we were reflecting last night, it's not really that we're going from here to there. We might call it a path because it's a, a way of practicing being more and more impeccably, more and more sensitively, more and more clearly with this present moment, that we arrive more fully here. So though it's not really a path going somewhere else, we can still talk about uh, activities which give rise to a deeper quality of presence. Oftentimes, uh, the Buddha reduced this to sila samadhi panya. Sila, the way we opened the retreat last night, what's called uh, impeccable restraint learning how to bring a healthy no into our life. A a no that is, uh, as we reflected a little bit last night, that is a protection for ourselves and for others. A no that allows us to relax and reflect on the nature of the various mind states trusting little by little that we're not going to consciously speak and act in a way that harms others or leads to the loss of our self-respect. The Buddha oftentimes called this the foundation of of this path of awakening. And that as our recollection and sensitivity to what we 
put into the world with speech and action as that becomes more careful, conscious. In and of itself, there's already going to be more moment-to-moment presence, which is overseeing, which is recollecting what we're doing. That that naturally will give rise to a, a more truly sustained quality of abiding presence. This gives rise, helps provide a foundation for what's called samadhi, or gatheredness, collectedness. Sometimes it's translated as concentration, but I'm not, and many of my fellow Dhamma practitioners sometimes aren't so happy with the connotation of concentration as pointed. Sometimes it's translated as one-pointed. When I think of one-pointed, I I think of an ice pick, which is, I mean, there's time for being laser beam-like. There's time for being one-pointed in that sense, breaking apart something. The difficulty with this uh, image for, for concentration is it becomes very narrow, very constricted, very, very controlled. And it tends to, to lead, it can, I've seen in myself and in others, when, when we try to, to imagine that, that what this is teaching us is to be an ice pick, is to be riveted on some point. There tends to be a lot of energy in it, sometimes a lot of frustration if we feel we fail at it. But it tends to be very uh, fragile. and not very restful, not very balanced, not very connected with the context. But the word concentrate has also, uh, we could use concentric, like concentric circles. I like that a little better. There's a notion of a center There's a notion of a global quality that is rooted, that is centered, that is collected, that is unified somehow by a stable presence. The actual phrase which the the Buddha used in his uh, language was citta kagata. Chitte kagata, chit, the heart, that aspect of being which is conscious, which knows, that which is knowing the quality of light in the room, that which is contacting and immediately recognizing, seeing the sounds of the insects. what knows, what is in contact with, holds, what is the field which manifests the mood that we're in now. Chitta is what's called the heart. The heart can be, as the Buddha described it, expanded, contracted, angry, tainted by anger, aversion, friendliness, as we've been practicing today, a heart which is informed, the shape of the heart, the shape of this quality of presence, which is guided by not fighting, guided by peacefully coexisting with, and the quality of heart becomes 
Notice spacious, allowing, able to resonate, able to honor that uh, everything has its place. Friendly, non-combative heart doesn't necessarily like, doesn't necessarily find things, everything pleasant. Pleasant, soothing sound of the insects. The friendly heart can allow that. Painful feeling in my hip or side. The friendly heart can welcome that, resonate with that. That's the heart, citta. What's chit ekagata? The phrase the Buddha used to describe concentration is when the heart is eka. Eka means one. That's where the one-pointed came from, but it also means single or unified, not two. When the heart is unified, not so fractured, split, torn, dispersed, Ultimately, this is ultimately, so say the saints and sages, ultimately when the heart is truly at home, truly recognizing its own radiance, the suchness of the manifestations which arise and dissolve back into this presence, ultimately the, the pabhasarajitta, the radiant heart, recognizes that there aren't any separate true separations. Though we can talk about this and that and focus and on this or that, just like focusing on different waves in the ocean, yet recognizing that ultimately speaking they merge, ultimately speaking they're connected. That's a nice thought. It's a lovely thought which can be helpful to ponder. But the unification of heart which which the Buddha talked about wasn't meant just to be conceived. He wanted us to experience what happens when there's a sense of fullness. Being filled whole, unified in a moment. He considered this actually very important so that it becomes the central aspect of the path. Foundation, first part, restraint, middle part, this samadhi, this unification of heart, then the flowering, the result is what's called panya or wisdom, the recognition of the way things are, to then being freed from confusion. When the Buddha talked about samadhi, he talked about it on one level as being a pleasant abiding, learning how to access a blameless, pleasing, abiding. It's the aspect of the Buddhist teaching which is the healing principle. The joy principle, the the heartful principle, literally. It's learning for the heart to be full and rejoice in its completeness. That was one of the blessings, which in and of itself is a, is a wonderful. A pleasure that doesn't exploit the, the world. 
a pleasure that doesn't exploit others. A pleasure that doesn't knock others out of the way as we grasp externally for something to hang on to. And there are all sorts of uh, beautiful, pleasing, sensory experiences if we chase sights and sounds and flavors and smells and tastes, sensations, thoughts. And the Buddha never denied that there's real pleasure, that there is that which is pleasing when we sustain contact with a pleasant sensation. But he taught us to reflect on the limitation of, of no matter how beautiful a, a something is, like this time of day is gorgeous. An external phenomenon which we can bring into the heart the, from the heat of the day cooling, the efforts of the day smoothing, the brightness of the day dimming. One can lean on and appreciate and rejoice with the heart can open to it, one can rejoice with that beauty. But that particular manifestation, that particular sign is shifting. It becomes the night, becomes the dawn, becomes the heat of the day again. It's all right, but we all know what uh, the, the, the drawbacks of when our... I mean, this is actually a very, relatively speaking, beautiful and skillful way of experiencing calm through nature. But when it's uh, just through grasping at pleasant taste or grasping at exciting sights, our attention can be scanning and chasing. And we get a little bored and then moved in another direction encounter some discomfort and then recoil back to a sensation that feels okay or we become like a pinball fractured moving around bouncing off things trying to hold on to something that's easeful feeling it elude us this is where then he, he, he talked about a possibility of viveka, as Tanisara spoke about last night, a conscious honoring, acknowledging of activity, but consciously letting that be for the sake of establishing attention right here. That's the single quality. Letting the attention be simple, single, one. That there's the possibility of when attention steadies itself and consciousness, this knowing quality of mind, when it becomes more sustained, moment to moment, more powerful, when it starts to recognize its own luminosity, its own brightness and fullness, something very different happens. In the Buddha's own case, uh, the the turning point for him and his practice uh, happened uh, during that period after he left the palace when he was doing this uh, severe ascetic practices. Had this idea that somehow attachment to pleasure was the problem and so consciously bringing to himself and doing great painful trials to somehow cut cut through this link with the world and some notion of Nibbana is some, somewhere out there. He got skilled at leaving the body and experiencing Olympic-style formless realms places with no physical contact, 
but still qualities of presence. But he kept finding that he would come back down. And then in his ascetic practices of starvation, even cutting down food and breathing, just, just finding that he just was getting sick. And though he knew, I have tremendous willpower. My ice pick, I mean, this guy had a mind that, talk about that kind of concentration, he had a mind that could rivet onto something. He felt like a spring tightened up. But he also knew he was basically dying. And he, he had a recollection, is this the path? Is this working? And he sensed it wasn't working. And he had a recollection. Some of you might have heard this story many times before, but I like to reflect on it when we're getting too heavy about our practice. He had a recollection from his childhood. when his father, the king or some head chieftain of the Sakyan clan, was having some sort of festival, plowing festival, and there was all sorts of activity appropriate to a festival. Who knows, speeches or celebrations or dances or various activities. I don't recall that he hated that. He noticed that, and something in his childhood memory came forth where he realized he just let it be over there, and he withdrew to a tree off to the, at a distance, sat in the shade of a rose apple tree. And he described to his disciples, his monks and nuns, years later when he was recounting the event, he withdrew to this rose apple tree. Let the festival be over there, just as we can, all of our activities, all that's happening in all kinds of festivals and dramas and things are going on in San Francisco and Los Angeles and around the world and in our communities and all sorts of places. By withdrawing, we're not judging it. Don't have to, at least. Leaving that. This young prince left that and allowed his attention just to come to his body and reflect in the simple, in the uncomplicated way of a child to be with the breath to be fully with that, with the breathing of the body sitting. And he remembered that uh, experience and he thought, ah, why am I afraid of that pleasure? That's not hurting anyone. Yes, if I attached to that state, want it to be that way all the time, that will cause some stress. But that in and of itself, that pleasure born of letting something be and allowing a filling up, a filling up of the energy, the conscious, unified energy of being here, allowing that to well up rather than just be splattered and fractured by trying so hard to get somewhere else to get rid of something. That that pleasure is, is blameless and is important. He recognized it's important. He knew that was the path. He also knew, oh, I can't do it in the state that I'm in now, in the sickened, exhausted state. So he knew he needed to eat something, allow his strength to be regained,
what he recollected that happened to him as a child is, is when he did that, he found himself going to a, what's called a, a state of peacefulness. What is called in the Buddhist language the first jhana, or a quality, a, a unified abiding of peacefulness. Once we have a feeling for, for the possibility of a welling up of brightness, luminosity, clarity, fullness, that which quenches some agitation in a deep way in the heart, then there's a whole different sort of leverage going on. It's one thing to try to make ourselves let go of grasping. If we don't know any other pleasing abidings, how are we going to let go? We'll feel will feel frightened if we recognize that actually there is, when we relax, something which can hold us, something which is bright, something which is filling, that provides a, 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 a leverage, a, a center of gravity that makes it much easier to relinquish our obsessive, compulsive, external grasping, which always keeps us from ever really truly tasting what's here and now. So we've today been, been practicing the, uh, the same uh, teachings of the that the young prince practiced and that later when, when the Buddha had eaten and restored his strength, he in the same way allowed himself to gather his presence, to be filled with the joy and the ease and the clarity of the heart when it's peaceful. And then he went on to reflect on a very profound blessing that comes from a gathered heart. Not only is it a pleasing abiding, but a heart which is truly composed, the Buddha said, sees things the way they are. When our heart is, is here, then it's not partly here. It's not being confused by all sorts of views and opinions, which we don't recognize as views and opinions, which we just take to be the truth. When our heart is more fully here, whatever it contacts, whether it's a sight or a sound or a thought or a feeling, it recognizes the power of our presence then is able to recognize a sound being present and then dissolving a doubt being able to well up and then fade. So it's this quality of powerful presence of mind which leads to liberation. To reflect a little bit on our practice, uh, the way the Buddha taught this to his disciples, How has mindfulness of in and out breathing developed and pursued so that it bears great fruit and great benefits? There's the case where a monk having gone to the wilderness or to the shade of a tree or to an empty building sits down, folding his legs crosswise, holding his body erect, setting mindfulness or heartfulness 
to the fore, always present, always mindful, he breathes in. Mindful, he breathes out. Breathing in long, he discerns that he is breathing in long. Breathing out long, he discerns that he is breathing out long. Or breathing in short, he discerns that he is breathing in short. Or breathing out short, he discerns that he is breathing out short. He trains himself to breathe in sensitive to the entire body and to breathe out sensitive to the entire body. He trains himself to breathe in calming the bodily formation and to breathe out calming the bodily formation. This is what's called the first tetrad. There's other steps where the Buddha takes us through the recollection on joy and rapture and dispassion and freedom. But this first tetrad is, is, is very important. Sitting down. Establishing heartfulness, mindfulness. Making an intention to, for now, for right now, leaving the festivals, the activities, to be as they are. It's not that we hate them, it's not that there won't be an appropriate time to engage, but we're actually practicing letting be for the sake of the heart, rather than being extended and scattered and stretched and dispersed, we're developing an important capacity to turn back on itself, to feel itself, to fill itself up and out. Noting, breathing in. At first, just noticing. Can we notice when there's an in-breath? Can we notice when there's an out-breath? How do we notice? Do we feel some sensation somewhere? First, making contact with the body, breathing. Perhaps it'll be at the nostrils, where we, we can recognize, ah, yes, there's a breathing in. Oh, yeah, there's a breathing out. Perhaps it's, it's, it's more in the chest as we notice a swelling, a contracting. Perhaps it's at the abdomen. But to notice that, and to have the intention to actually sustain that noticing so that we can sustain a sense of being with the sensation of breathing in, breathing out. Ajahn Chah would encourage us, uh, our teacher, to at, at first even follow the breath, especially if we're a bit agitated, just to sense the breath touching the nostrils, get a sense at the beginning of the breath have a moment of mindfulness here, noticing at the middle of the breath there's a sense of the lungs filling at the end of the breath, the abdomen, the diaphragm working, the end of the in-breath, in other words, breathing in and down, filling up, breathing out, just as a way of touching the nostrils, the chest, the belly as we breathe in and sensing that flow as we breathe out. There's a bit of movement in it, but it allows us to have the sense of this body taking in vitality, noticing contact at the nostrils, the lungs, the belly, and the outbreath, the belly, the lungs, the chest, and then the nostrils. After a while, we'll find that we're at least fairly present with that process. And we might naturally allow the attention to 
be with the breath, be with the breathing, be with the body in a place that's most prominent. Then rather than following the breathing in, following the breathing out, we're actually staying with like a steadiness. Or like if we're standing on the shore. When I think of our shoreline in Africa, standing on the shore and the waves come in and lap at the feet. The tide comes in and then it flows out. Standing firm, but noticing that which flows in touches us, that which flows out. We might find that we're more comfortable being steady with the body as we begin to sense the breath as it manifests, the breathing manifesting at the nostrils. As a tingling, or as a coolness that then turns to a warmth. Now, on one level, the breath is just the air coming in and out, but that's the coarse breath. It's one aspect of the breath. Actually, the whole body's breathing. The breath element, the Buddha called the breath element vayodatu, which means the vibratory element in nature, that which vitalizes. So yes, there's a, a, a breath, air that comes in and out, But in that process of touching, when we breathe in, there's as an energy. All we have to do is stop breathing for, say, 20 seconds. I'm not breathing now. Oh, notice a certain interesting sensation pervading the body. What's that? Curiosity. Oh, getting a bit panicky. Dark. And then breathing, and then subtly feel what happens when one takes an in, an, a big breath like that, for the tingling through the whole body, the brightness coming back to the body. There's also something in breathing that vitalizes. So not only is it the air coming in and out, but it's this vitalizing, vibrating quality So we can also have our attention anywhere, say at the nostrils. That vibration is a manifestation of the subtle breath. That pulse is a move, part of the movement element. Or in the chest, we might follow it, be with it, welcome it. Or in the abdomen, And this is another place where we then can begin to establish some steadiness, where the knowing becomes continuous. As that knowing becomes more continuous, and the sense of the movement, the vitalization, the vibration, the pulsing, as what's called an object, being held by a brightness which is the knowing, which is the heart knowing that object. But rather than just stay there, notice that the very important instruction the Buddha gave of learning to train the body to, to, be, to breathe sensitive to the whole body. So then actually taking the place where we've established some contact and allowing the attention to broaden, to include that which is around, to suffuse, so that that quality of presence, that quality of being with the suchness of our body then begins to include the whole body. The, the classical image 
which many of you have heard before about the, this bringing the whole body into play is, is the, the simile of the Bathman's apprentice. But the Buddha, but this simile I feel is a very good one. So I'm, I encourage us to reflect on it again if it's something that you've already looked at. Again, he's talking about a seeker, a meditator, who when they let go of chasing externally, leaving this chasing behind, enters and remains in this unified state, feeling rapture and pleasure born from this viveka, this withdrawing to embrace the present moment, accompanied by directed thought and evaluation, permeates, pervades, suffuses, fills this very body with rapture and pleasure that is born from this for lack of a better word, this withdrawing into the present moment. There is nothing of his entire body that is unpervaded by this rapture and pleasure. Just as a skilled bathman or bathman's apprentice would pour crystals, powder, dry into a basin, a brass basin, kneading it together, sprinkling it again and again with water, so that this ball of powder then becomes saturated, moisture-laden, permeated within and without. And it would nevertheless not lose the water. It would not drip. Even so, the practitioner pervades this very body with rapture and pleasure, born of this leaving, this chasing behind. Nothing of the entire body unpervaded by this feeling. This is the first development of this noble right samadhi. We've been practicing today making contact with the present moment and then also through the through the qigong through learning to be with the body, notice the breath, but also notice the feeling tone of the body. The feeling tone, the vibratory tone, the energetic tone could be called the breath body, the energy body, the sensation body. Noticing how awareness, yes, can be with a point And when we're with a small point, in a sense, that's a whole universe. It's not that that can't be rich and full. But noticing what happens if our attention widens and widens and widens. And we've been widening the attention with the uh, encouragement to... to reflect on the, the boundless abiding of not fighting. Widening so that when we include various sensations, they might be pleasant or painful, to allow them, but just to stay in touch with them. Like this first day of practice is very, can be very difficult as we carry with us a lot of undigested fatigue, perhaps, or undigested agitation undigested anxiety, all the momentum of the various habits. Maybe we've dealt with when things get difficult in our daily life, sometimes one just moves away to distract ourselves from it. It's natural. But to pause and just be with this moment, then at first we, as our friend says, we're in a sense eyeball to eyeball with our karma, we, all the patterns of activity, of restlessness, etc., manifest. So this first day, sometimes there can be stress, 
exhaustion, heaviness. And if we're trying to get to some state of rapture that we've heard about, or maybe some memory that we've had from before, then, then there'll be aversion. There'll be not wanting those states to be there. They'll be blaming someone or blaming ourselves. And actually that creates more, that adds more turbulence into the mix. If we have the capacity to, with as much balance as we can, to practice this metta, non-resistance, welcoming, to make contact with the body, sitting, breathing, and then as we open the attention, Perhaps we do notice a, a fatigue. Can we stay with that sensation, cradling it, breathing into it, relaxing it, so that that tranquilizes the nervous system, smooths the nervous system? Then magically we have the opportunity to, to, to explore how the very active awareness has by its very nature the capacity to transform. Things transform of their own in the aura, in the field of awareness. When we allow the field to be right here, when we allow it to, to be fully here, then the heaviness, that unpleasantness or that agitation, if that in and of itself can become the breath body, the feeling of our breath that we stay with, it can allow us to become steady. It allow the knowing to become more sustained and more bright. If we can stay with that, we'll notice the miracle of, of that heaviness becoming little by little shifted. Just like the particles of the powder are, are all separated. They're not, there's no cohesive element in the Bathman's Apprentice uh, example. Just as when we're fractured, seeing the world just through our concepts, uh, well, there's our future, there's our past, there's our the relationships, there's parts of the body that are tense, that are parts that are dead, that are parts that are inflamed, parts that seem really close and big, and some that seem so distant we can't find them disconnected. Thoughts not really connected. Notice in the image there's this powder that's in a bowl. It's a brass bowl. I think the Buddha used that as it's a golden bowl. Golden color. Warm color. Something that holds that disconnected powder. Crystals. And that's like the heart, or our intention to be heartful, to be present. That's our container, that which, that's what can hold all the sensation, all the moods, all the doubts, all the experiences. Remembering that it's all happening within this container. The sprinkling water, starting to sprinkling water, are, are moments of touching the stuff in our container the stuff in our life with moments of being with it, being here, being with a step, being with standing, being with seeing, being with hearing, being with feeling, with this body, being with the posture, losing it, and encouraging the heart to return with the thought of, here I am, what's happening. These are the sprinkling of water. And then the, the, the hands that then start to knead it so that this, this water, this element of, 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 of cohesion, which is sometimes compared to compassion, compassion is that which helps things relate, come together. Aversion splits, doesn't it? Pushes away what we don't want. Compassion's willing to include, to resonate with, to feel with. 
so this this attention starts to to like the the water starts to to mix and allow uh, uh, some mysterious process to happen. Then the kneading is like the is like the breath. It's like this wave. Our breath is a wave that can massage all the knots in hard places as we go into the body. As we breathe in, noticing the body, letting the attention scan the body, noticing there's a place perhaps in our side that is that is hot. As we breathe in, we notice that. It's like a hand massaging there. And it's like the water, the, the mystery of, of awareness going there, breathing in and then relaxing that area, allowing that area then to be connected to our knee or connected to our shoulder. Breathing into the body and on the out-breath, allowing the sense of that energy, of that presence to relax and suffuse through the shoulders and the face. Staying the whole while present with the sensations. As we do this, uh, something happens. I encourage us to be very patient, but to not feel like we have to accomplish it all on this retreat. If for the rest of our life we can learn to be a little more sustained in being here, there's the opportunity to be present for our experience, to actually be present for our life have the opportunity little by little to get more skilled at being able to be filled with appreciating simplicity. The basic elements, which uh, I'll go over a little bit uh, tomorrow, but the basic elements that, that support this, that need to be in place, which were translated in a maybe a somewhat misleading way when the Buddha talks about directed thought and evaluation need to be in place and then rapture and pleasure. What really helps us is is to remember to keep returning to where we've always been. This directed thought, remember that thought need not be our enemy. Thought is helpful for directing our attention. We don't need to fight thoughts. We just need to be aware of them. Aware that when we're hijacked by thoughts, we get pulled away. But if we consciously use a thought to remind us, here we are. So a thought like that is a directed thought. It directs us right here. Just like the thought South Africa takes me back to our mountain. But the thought, what's happening now, here and now, that thought dissolves and leaves me remembering this moment, this body. A directed thought can be the thought that brings us to sitting. When we breathe in, even the thought breathing in, it can be there and then dissolve so that we're actually with the body breathing. That's what's translated as evaluation. That's a bit... It's not that we sit here and write an essay now. But we receive these two forms of directing and receiving go together. One of our monk friends calls it the thumb, and it's like the thumb and the second finger. A directed thought brings us to this moment, but if we're really going to connect and be one with it, we need also to be open enough to receive. If I just say, breath, 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 get back there, come on. That's more like the ice pick. Okay, we get high marks for, for that yang quality. of. But, you know, 
basically what we're focused on is, mm, mm, and you know, there's a samadhi in that, there's power in that. But we don't know a lot about what our body, rest of our body's doing. So yes, something directs there, but then what then bonds, connects, feels out? The evaluation's more of an exploring or as a, a word Eugene uses really nicely, curious. Curious, if I'm picking up something, like my meditation blanket, meditation blanket directs me here, but then what allows me to get to know it? So I start to feel it, explore the weight and the texture. Notice while I'm doing that, contact is continuous. start to lose and then the directed thought is, oh, come on, stay with the meditation blanket. Then exploring it. Then you know you're not going to lose it and you might find a place that's comfortable to hold it. Yeah, just like this. Then one doesn't have to keep directing. One is steady with it. Just steady right there. But until we're really stable with this body and its sensations, breathing. The directed thoughts are very helpful. The exploring, infusing, suffusing, then at a certain point that thought process will naturally drop away. Not because we're averse to it, because we're here already. We don't have to keep telling ourselves to be here. But until that point, thought is our friend. That kind of thought. Sometimes we use the thought Buddha as we breathe in, and in Thailand, Bhutto means awake. Breathing out Bhutto. It's a thought which reminds us to be awake to what's happening. You might find your own words that you can link with the breath. A word that's just enough to bring you back, but then leaves the silence of the heart engaging, contacting, exploring. Then the heart and the body and the body and the heart, the knowing and the object, they're together. That's where the ekagata comes. It's like dance, dancing. I'm not good at dancing. Just watch someone good at dancing. Once people are good at dancing, then there's relating to one another. There's a, a communion the dancing I enjoy, I'll work on the other dancing little by little. But the dancing I enjoy is when the awareness receives the body. The body then is held by the awareness. The, the awareness is steadied by the body. The two come together, mixed. And like standing on a beach, when there's lots of ruts in the sand and maybe four-by-fours have been through or lots of people have been playing and digging up things and it's all marked and various crevices and stuff. But notice if the waves, tide comes in and flows back, how that smooths it. It comes in and smooths it. If you notice the beautiful feeling of of when a beach, which is made up of billions of individual grains of sands, when it's really been smooth, there's something unified, something beautifully delicious in that freshness, that perfection. When we use our attention to come to this moment and get filled with it, and then relax, allow that breath to smooth, tranquilize the nervous system. There's a possibility of of sensing the the heart in its fullness. In a fullness which blesses the body a body which is manifesting out of that luminous heart.
If you're judging that things are going well, well, just keep going. If you're thinking, oh gosh, I'm a hopeless case, I really encourage you to remember the boundless heart that has kindness and friendliness for the hopeless case. Without welcoming and embracing the hopeless case, we don't have a chance. Really be kind to the hopeless case and hear those perceptions dissolve. Be kind to the fatigue and the pains and the agitations and allow the the magic of heartfulness, the magic of presence to do its own thing. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.